They're some of the most famous crime movies of all time and have left gangsters and their glamorous malls forever embedded in popular culture. Now Crime World is going to make you an offer you can't refuse. In association with Dingo Whiskey and the Sunday World magazine, we'll be recording an exclusive invite-only live show on December 1st in Dublin's Sugar Club. And for a chance to win tickets, all we want are your views and your votes. Over the coming weeks, we will be reviewing our top 10 iconic movies with some special guests as part of the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club on Crime World. And we want you to vote for your favourites to be in to win. Details on sundayworld.com and Crime World's Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And remember, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. It's an unsettling thought how, how much of your existence is probably captured on CCTV. It is amazing if, if, if you're in the city centre and they have the will and are willing to put in the man hours, they really can't trace you consistently. The commission of murders, planning crimes like that, I mean, that is, must be the, the hardest thing to get around now. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch for the murder of David Byrne today saw images of Regency gunman Kevin Flatcap Murray enjoying a pint the night before his image was cemented in gangland history. Murray, who was critically unwell when he took part in the Regency attack, died years later. Today, the Special Criminal Court saw CCTV images of Murray perusing a menu and then sitting for a relaxed pint hours before the very foundations of the Irish criminal underworld were shaken to the core. Today, I'm talking to Niall Donald about a day in the Monk's trial which revealed a lot about the plot to kill and what the state says are the movements of the team that murdered David Byrne. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. I'm going to just start by telling you why there was no podcast yesterday. Okay, please do. And I've saved this for you. Right. Right. (laughs) So I'm away working, as I told you, the last time we were on, we were all having technical issues. Yes, inconveniently. And I was in this hotel and I plugged my phone in that night and I woke up in blackness, darkness, total and utter, couldn't see in front of my eyes. Sort of grappled for the phone and it was black. There was nothing on it. I thought there was been an electricity problem. Yeah. Um, then I kind of realised there wasn't, there was something wrong with the phone. So I got up out of bed, didn't know what time it was and I was due to be collected for this film shoot thing. So I opened, or I took the phone off the charger, sort of went around, picked up a hairbrush yeah. And the plastic card for the door of the hotel. <laughs> right. And I went out onto the corridor. Yeah. And I thought I'd go down to sort of the reception area and find out what time it is. And then I'd be somewhat sorted. And all the while I was kind of looking into the face of the phone, expecting it to spring back to life. Because yeah. you just, I just couldn't understand it. So I kind of went down and got to this door and into reception, or so yeah. I thought. Went out the door, closed it behind me. And sort of took my head up out of the phone and realised I was on this terrace. Right. Which was sort of raised above, like quite a lot above where the bins were stored. Right. So it was the whole back of the building, <laughs> right? And all these other buildings that were around it. Yeah. And it was 
dark. Yeah. Okay. Now a light came on from underneath the sensor <laughs> light. And so I turned around. What, the, what am I doing here? I opened the door. The door was locked. Stuck out. Now, I mean, yeah. it was like the door from a bank vault. <laughs> yeah. It was completely and utterly suctioned closed. Yeah. There yeah. was no, and it was like as if it was soundproof. Yeah. I was knocking on it, nothing. There's nobody up. Don't you know, even what, know what time it is. Don't even know what time it is. I have the hairbrush, which yeah. is handy. And um, there was all these sort of like old style, like, you know, Manhattan fire escapes. Yeah, yeah. That they come down. Like, I've always, like Spider-Man. Exactly. Kind of. Would always have liked to have a go on them, but yeah. I, I couldn't get down. I couldn't get up. I was just sort of stuck on this thing, right? And mm. it went on for ages. Right. And like, I was kind of looking at the phone, a countering reception. What am I going to do? It was bad. Are you wearing your PJs? Uh, uh, I'm not going to go into that detail just at the moment, right? <laughs> I would just say I, it wasn't too bad. Uh, right. I was somewhat attired. I had okay. a very small denim jacket on yeah. and runners and I did have PJ bottoms on. But anyway, so that wasn't the end of the world. But I just was sort of pacing up and down. I laughed a bit at my predicament, which was ridiculous. Paced up and down a bit. Kept seeing my panicked little face distorted in the back <laughs> of this hairbrush, like which yeah. was kind of a silvery colour. Is it clear why you had the hairbrush? No, never. <laughs> no, never, never. Okay, okay. So eventually, it seemed to go on for ages, right? So I eventually sort of swung from this... <laughs> Part of the fire escape. So quite like Spider-Man. Another, right, another crime fighter. Right hand and put my foot out and I sort of swung towards yeah. this window yeah. where there was, thank God, a man had come, <laughs> out, had come out a door and was locking it. So I sort of knocked on the window with the hairbrush. He turned around totally shocked, an elderly man. And he sort of came towards the window and I was like, terribly sorry to bother you. <laughs> really sorry about this while swinging. And he just opened the window and he said, what are you doing there? <laughs> I said, I'm after getting locked out. I don't know. Very nice man. Said he lived in the apartment <laughs> block. Two doors up from oh, the freaking hotel. hotel. No, no two no. doors up. <laughs> but he said he was on his way out and he'd pop into reception and let them know I was right. trapped. Right. So thank God, eventually this woman answered the door and I got back in. And she was, her English was pidgin English. So I just didn't even try to explain myself. It was such yeah. a ridiculous, sort of looking at the hairbrush <laughs> and the phone and... Went into the bedroom. I had, it was like really late actually at this point and I had just a few minutes to get ready to, so I hopped into the shower, got dressed, slapped a bit of makeup on, turned on the hairdryer and it blew up in my hand <laughs> in a puff of smoke, yeah. which is obviously what must have happened, the phone in the middle of the right. night. But, so the day was horrific without a phone, horrific. You know, travelling through a foreign city, you don't know, no sat-nav. Think about it. Yeah. Like yeah. it was an adventure. I've actually done that myself, believe it or not. I was in a hotel and uh, I was with my then three-year-old daughter and I went out to make a phone call onto the balcony and the door locked behind me. And I could just see her there peacefully in her bed, you know? What did you do? But I, 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 I jumped, I said, like, I'm, I'm, I was probably in my mid-30s and I thought I'll just jump off. It was the first floor balcony and I jumped, landed on my feet Fell, on the ground. Landed on my feet and fell, then face oh. first and head butted. <laughs> but you had a phone. You didn't need to do that. Yeah, but I probably didn't, but I didn't you know the just... phone. No, it was in an air it was like an Airbnb type of apartment oh, type right. of thing, so, you know? Yeah, no, not so good. then I no. But I got yeah. in then eventually. But she she slept through the whole thing and But you know all I could think of was yeah. Total karma for me, by yeah. the way. Like, I mean, there's no doubt this yeah. is a lot of things raining down on me <laughs> that day. But do you remember the balcony? Off 
the the floor we were on before. Yeah. That had one of those doors. People yeah, would go yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the door would close behind them and they'd be locked out. And we used to sit. Yeah. And put our heads down and pretend we didn't see them and giggle. <laughs> and Robbie Farrell used to say, we've another one caught in the trap. <laughs> and it all back. came back. It all comes back. Me. Now, when I emailed you both with the last 8% of the charge left on the laptop, which is my was my last contact with humanity, um, you did in fairness. Yeah. Answer me. Yeah. I could have been completely <laughs> fucked. It was up to you. I didn't even get an okay. Yeah. It was just, that was it. And I couldn't remember anybody's phone numbers, even if I could borrow yeah, a phone. it's amazing how little... No, 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 it's bad now. Yeah. I mean, life is going to change. I have really, it was one of those sort of <laughs> shock days. So, no podcast yesterday, so we have to double up today. Now, got back and managed, Faisal managed to fix me up with a little bit of a phone. So, off I went down to the Hutch trial. A bit delayed, but nonetheless. Um, so, it's all about... CCTV, which sounds very boring, but it's actually not boring. Yeah, We're watching some of it. We're hearing details of some of it where it was harvested, as they call it, from. Um, the one thing that stood out for me today is that you can go absolutely nowhere yeah. without being watched. I mean, you can. it is unbelievable. They have CCTV from all around the city. They are, um, I mean, the job to have collected it must have been enormous. We'll start just with that, really, because the state are claiming that um, some of the CCTV relates to the movements of Jason Bonney. Um, but for the purposes of this, they have just placed the CCTV before the courts for the moment. So they're not, they did say that that was what it's in relation to, but they're not saying this is him, this is him in, a, in each uh in each bit of it. But <clears throat> some of the places they got the CCTV from were Port Marnock, Amien Street, the Malahide Road, Drimna Wood, Buckingham Street. Then they have gone to Paddy Power Bookmakers, to SEO's Takeaway, to Corrigan's Pharmacy, to the Hillside Shopping Centre, to the First Step Stop Garage. They have actually gone around all these places and they've managed to piece together what they are presenting as movements on a day just a random day, essentially, in Dublin um, over nearly a three, four hour period. And they've obviously got CCTV from other days as well. But you can see this car, they're following this BMW and they should, they talk about the distinctive dirt on it and the, yeah. the distinctive marks on it. One of the taillights isn't working properly. Yeah. And, you know, they follow it around the city. And obviously... Um, at the same time that this car they're saying is moving into the Buckingham Street area, about an hour previous, we've seen flat cap. Yeah, they say arrived there from a taxi from the Regency. Yeah, so I mean, this did feature in some of the opening statement as well. I mean, it's quite complicated, mm. complex the movements of six cars in total. It is amazing if 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 you're in the city centre and they have the will and are willing to put in the man hours, they really can't trace you consistently do nothing yeah and if you think back maybe even 15 20 years ago even 10 years ago when when in the sunday world you'd have shocking cctv shows yeah. and it would just be a blur of things yeah. that would not be recognizable but really these are quite high definition cameras now on just on as you said bookies or shops yeah that can pick out reg plates can pick out detail as you described if you look back to the the famous uh, Joe Riley case, it was 
a, a black car that looks something like mm-hmm. whatever it was. It, it, but now, I mean, they can pick out rages. So the commission of murders, planning crimes like that, I mean, that is, must be the, the hardest thing to get around now. But what you've said there is the heart of the matter. It's if they have the will to do it really, or if the, you know, the crime is significant yeah. enough. And that's exactly it. Because to imagine starting that process and trying to trace where these cars they're going to bring to the courts were supposed to have been, you know, to go about on the streets, to look for the CCTV, to look at the shops, to go back and ask them to go in and to try and capture that, you know, yep. to sometimes they have to get warrants to get this piece of yep. CCTV. Generally they to do. To get the timings all correct. Some CCTVs don't, you know, their, their timing is out by an hour or something. They have to work all that out. It's an enormous job. And actually, in particular, this guard, Michelle Purcell, was giving the evidence. She was very, very clear about it and concise. And she was only just telling the court about the car. She wasn't actually giving evidence about who they're claiming that was in it. It was Sean Glan SC had said at the beginning of it that it was in relation to um, to Jason Bonney. But you talk about clear CCTV. Prior to them moving on to this today, they had, uh, they showed us the CCTV within the Regency Hotel. Now that CCTV is crystal clear. Yeah. And um, it was actually taken from the night before the shooting of David Byrne. And it shows a uh, flat cap, sometimes with the cap on, sometimes with it off, coming out of his room, getting into a lift. He goes down to the lobby. He crosses the lobby. He's captured on at least three cameras as he's doing this, or maybe more, and they show him at every different angle there is. He peruses the menu uh, outside the restaurant bar thing. And then amazingly, he goes into the bar, right? He has a little look around. He finds a table. Yeah and a chair and he takes that and orders himself a pint of Guinness and he very relaxed drinks this pint of Guinness. But like most men, he doesn't like sitting at a freaking table in yeah. a bar. The, uh, men have to sit at the bar. So the minute a place vacates from the bar, he takes a pew and he sits up there and he watches the telly and he's very relaxed. Doesn't seem to have any more than one pint, but he does that and then he makes his way off to bed. I mean, he looks like any ordinary punter. And to think that, you know, 12 to 24 hours later, his image has become an iconic one in gangland history. Absolutely. And when you do hear the evidence of the witnesses there to be like this guy was subsequently involved 24 hours later, as you say, in really an act of sheer terror Mm. um, for in front of hundreds of people. Um, but it's 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 a scary. It's not scary thought. Maybe it is. A, it's an unsettling thought. How how much of your existence is probably captured on CCTV? Yeah. Now, obviously, the authorities. If you if you didn't pay a parking ticket or something, they they wouldn't have the right to harvest the CCTV or the and resources. present it, in co- or or possibly the right. But mm. as you saw in the the trial of Frat Freddie Thompson, they did attempt to to get some of that CCTV. Say his privacy was being invaded by the mm. use of the CCTV. But the Irish courts will recognise that when it comes to something as serious as a murder charge, that those that super or that that overrides. The individual's right to privacy and to 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 be uh, for for the CCT can be used. That's what was found before. Now, having said that, and your favourite phrase, I'm just getting this Brendan Condon SC, who I think is representing Bonnie. He did sort of alert the court that there may be some 
yep. legal issues with this. What's the thing you love? Your data retention. Oh, data, data protection. Well, yeah, data protection. I mean, retention, there is, I think. Data retention, which is kind of, yeah. it's not, it's, you know, it's one thing to record somebody in it, it, for CCTV purposes as they go in and out of a shop, but it's to retain that, yeah. that the, their, the privacy becomes an issue. It's and where, would that be an issue for the state if they've retained these images over so many years? Well, it could be. It could be. Um, and you see the data retention in, in with phone records. Mm. Like phone records, are, I think, to be kept for two years by phone companies. But after that, they're not to be kept for privacy issues. Mm. So there is a, a balance is struck between an individual's right to privacy and an individual's right to go around the a yeah. shop or whatever and the state have to justify the retention of that data over a period of time but as is I there said statute of limitations I wonder on the CCTV or will they possibly argue that I mean we're preempting anything but he certainly did get to his feet and suggest that there was going to be well the something well I mean Traditionally, the, the the courts take a different view when it's of of a very serious nature, mm. and you see that um, with with terrorism charges and things like that. It's it's there is a belief that data retention can be more flexible when when if you're trying to stop somebody killing somebody, obviously, yeah, that becomes more important than somebody's privacy. Uh, but there will be an issue and there will be constant challenges. This is one of the things that will be challenged in court. Yeah. Why was this kept for so long? What, what, you know, there might be other people in that CCTV where, where their rights mm -hmm. affected. So that's, that's a legal argument, I suppose. There was a man, Eamon Fitzgerald from Corrigan's Pharmacy on the Malahide Road, and he just got into the witness box to agree with the state that a Garda visited him and took this or yep. harvested, whatever they call it, his CCTV. Now, he was asked under cross-examination how often they serviced that CCTV when it was put in. He wasn't 100% sure. He thought it was in maybe three years at the time. He said it was regularly checked, that it was working, but he didn't think it had been serviced. Now, that went without much ado, but nonetheless, he was cross-examined about that. He was the only one, I think, who was. Now, today was a little bit of a, there was certain people, and because this is all to get this evidence before the court, this evidence is in the book of evidence as such, but it has to be brought, presented. You know, presented exactly yeah. to the court. So there was an element of some people had presented themselves in the courts today and they really just had to get into the box briefly to say, yes, I did. Yes, I was. Yes, I handed that over. So a lot of them are facilitated today, presumably, so they don't have to come back over the next few days. And once they're there, it's quick and easy. But prior to that, um, an inspector, Patrick Boyce from the SDU, had given evidence um, and he was in uniform. And his evidence and other members of the SDU gave evidence in relation to the weapons. And I think that's the first time that, while we have said it, that yeah. Shane Rowan, um, the weapons he was caught with back in 2016 in the March, just really weeks after the Regency, were those AKs used in it. They've kind of officially read that now into the court record. He said that, Patrick Boyce said that on the 9th of March, um, there was a briefing and he and others were prepared for an intervention in Slane and County Mead that happened at 7.05pm. Shane Rowan from Donegal was um, driving 
up Slane northwards, towards Slane northwards, and he was stopped in the car. They found th- the three assault rifles um, and ammunition in the boot. Two of the assault rifles were wrapped in shirts and another one in a kind of a rug. Um, they gave evidence about his arrest. He would subsequently plead guilty to membership of the IRA and to uh, possession, possession of those weapons. So that's clearly and completely now putting the IRA at the centre of this Regency hotel attack. Yes, and if I remember correctly, during the previous trial to do with the Regency, Shane Rowan wasn't a feature of it. But as we heard in the opening statement from uh, from the prosecution, the connection between what Jerry Hutch is alleged to have said during a, a bug conversation and the discovery of these weapons is going to be made. So the, the state is trying to build a, a full case mm-hmm. where everything links up with everything and leads to a leads to a successful uh, conviction for murder that's what the state's case and part of that as they said in their opening statement is going to be that Jerry Hutch discussed with Jonathan Dowdle three yokes that were that he was going to give as a present to the republican movement and then they're going to say and subsequently these three uh, AK47s were found and these are the yokes that Jerry Hutch has uh, was speaking about. Mm-hmm. So there is a, there's A led to B. That is going to be the case that the state are going to make. It may well be that Jerry's, Jerry Hutch's defence say A does not lead to B, that mm. these are, are separate things and that it has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt, like all things to do with murder. So that that's going to be a feature of the trial, how how everything links with everything, and including Shane Rowan, who it was spoken about at the time, but didn't necessarily feature in, in, in the first trial. No, and of course, when he was before the courts, because he pleaded guilty, it happened kind of quickly. Yeah. I'd say there was one reporter in court. Yeah. And from memory, I don't think the Regency was even mentioned in it. Yeah, I mean, they don't give, uh, if somebody pleads guilty, obviously, and accepts the charge. You don't really, get a huge amount no, of evidence. No, you don't. You don't get yeah. a huge amount of evidence. You tend to hear just uh, mitigation and, and people speaking on behalf of the defendant. So you, d- you don't necessarily hear a motive or even a backstory. So they moved on a little bit then to the ballistics examiners. Now, they're the people who work in the guards. They're sort of crime scene investigators, essentially. So they don't kind of go on the beat policing. But when something happens, they go out. They're the forensic ballistic experts. Like yeah. they, they, um, they, the, the scene is secured by others, but they arrive and they will... Uh, examine and then later take away and examine in laboratories, bullet fragments and things like that. But they were talking about finding some of these bullet casings, etc. in the Regency Hotel. But um, what was a little bit more interesting was in this van that was burnt out that there were these these bullets basically were were in the van and they were left there when they whoever set it on fire. And these bullets uh, sort of blew up basically. Yeah. So there was a silver transit van, is the van they're speaking about. There was a silver silver transit van caught on CCTV at the Regency and then a, there was a silver transit van subsequently found at, at a local GA pitch in the aftermath. So that's obviously going to be a feature that they're, you know, they're going to trace the movements of what they say are the, the, the same van and there was, uh, this ammunition blew up and they're also have said in court already that this ammunition was capable of being fired by the AK-47s. They called them cooked-off bullets and 
a detective described how basically the heat is such um, that the extreme temperatures cause them basically to self-ignite and the bullet basically leaves its casing. Um, and they can tell that that happens due to, in this case, fire as opposed yeah. to being being shot. So, but like, that would sound really dangerous, like in a residential area. Yeah. No? Well, it's been left in this burning van and there was 17 of them, I think. 23 items in total they talked about or they had in evidence, but some of them were cartridges. But I think there was 17 or 16 bullets in total that basically cooked off. Yeah, and they, I, th- I think they also described it as not being fully burnt out, mm. um, not, not perfectly burnt out. So The van? Yes. Yeah, there was a little bit of it left, the front, the paint work or something on the front, right-hand side of it was left, but they said it was very well burnt out yeah. today. Um, there was a evidence that the kind of the steel thing between the front of the van and the back in a transit, whatever that's called, yeah. um, there had been this kind of window cut out of it and uh, the, the detective said that was probably for a lookout. Yeah. So obviously for the people hiding in the back that they could see out the front. Right. Um, so that was that. Um, yeah, the Kevin Murray stuff I found pretty fascinating just to see how relaxed he was and to, you know, to see him. So he they bring him to the following morning in the Regency when he gets up. <laughs> There's no, certainly I didn't see CCTV evidence of him sitting down getting the breakfast in. No. But he he does order a taxi or a taxi arrives for him. Wait now till I get this. Yeah. At 10.31, they said he left the Regency Hotel in a taxi. And at 10.44, they described this uh, CCTV from Paddy Powers on Amien Street and it's showing him basically yep. walking up Amien Street. Um, <clears throat> they have him at a different angle, they say, at the Ezio's takeaway. You see a male, they describe him as coming, but the state's case is that this is flat cap. Um, uh, he's carrying the green bag. He's wearing a grey hooded top and jeans. Again, looks very casual. He seems to be knocking around there, so he arrives about a quarter to. He's knocking around certainly until 11 o'clock when he's seen with another male who has yet to be identified and they seem to turn the corner into Buckingham Street um, which later this uh, other car which seems to relate to Bonnie yeah. about an hour later that seems to be in around the same area Yeah, I mean in their opening statement the state also said that the, that alleged meeting in Buckingham Street yeah. where a number of vehicles were, were spotted that's going to be central to the state's case mm. They're going to. They're going to say they met there before. They're going to say they met there. That that, that that's the organisation. That's the Hutch Criminal Organisation. Right. Uh, that's the base from which they operated. Mm-hmm. So that that's going to be a central feature of the case. They did said that that meeting that where there were a number of of vehicles congregated or Kevin uh, Murray was spotted. So that that's going to be a central feature where again they're trying to build put everything together piece by piece. Mm-hmm. Now, they sort of finished up as such today on presenting to the court other CCTV evidence, which appears to, sorry, I'm getting to it. I've obviously a load of doodles pages there, but it appears to relate more to the Clontarf area and over different dates. And um, so as it finished sort of up today for the day and it finished at half three because uh, Justice Tara Burns had an appointment, she said, and... um, but they, you know, they got as much done, I think, as possible. But as it finished up today, a Garda Ryan 
Duddy was giving evidence in relation to some CCTV and Brendan Grehan SC, instructed by Ferry Solicitors, who is representing Hutch, kind of got to his feet and said he was going to reserve his right to cross-examine the witness. So in other words, he was kind of preempting that he was going to maybe have... Um, something to put about this CCTV. We're not, we haven't seen it yet. No. It's just, the evidence is just that, that these guards collected it basically. And they were over different dates um, in February and into March uh, from my notes. So, you know, that'll kind of come out, I suppose, tomorrow. Um, but it was... It followed on from the day we missed when I was trapped on the balcony and you didn't yeah. bother your arse going down. I thought maybe the two of you could have put something together. but uh, we're, uh, we're aimless without you, Nicola. Are you? Yeah. 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 I suppose the show doesn't go on. No, without yeah. the star. Without it? the one that's trapped trapped with and phoneless. But um, you were keeping a good watching brief over it anyway. And our own Ernie Leslie yes. gave evidence and, and that really is a significant part of it as well, or certainly was more significant maybe in the last trial. Yes, I mean, the photograph of the Sunday World, which is now, you know, famous really, um, it's still amazing when you look at it, um, when you can see flat cap and, and the man in drag, just the, the level of detail in it, um, it's just so clear. Like it is still, I looked at it there yesterday. It's crystal clear. It is crystal clear. You can see the details on the gun, uh, they're running. I mean, it's it's a once in a lifetime photograph. There's just no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, so that's obviously Ernie, who took the photograph. Caused a whole lot of trouble for a whole lot of people. It but caused, apart from that, it caused a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those incredible moments, mm. just to capture something like that. And um, obviously, Ernie gave the details of how he took it. That moment where you when you're when you're seeing somebody coming out, the the level of fear that you experience. Uh, you know, incredible. Um, he was parked up, of course, outside the Regency and we had been there. Himself and Alan Sherry were there basically marking the event, as we call it. We knew Daniel Kinahan was going to be in town. We knew there was a row. We wanted to see who showed up to support Kinahan, who didn't. Um, yeah, we, things we were done, very tense. We, and we'd done a number of these weigh-ins over the, over the, the six months previous, was it? Or even yeah, a year. I know. We were getting sick of them. But we're getting sick of them. I mean, that that is yeah. the truth, the funny truth. I mean, we, we'd done them we 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 West. On, we had loads. We have loads of we pictures. We had photographs in our of them on the near the keys. Yeah. In, a, in a with with the burns mm. uh, in the aftermath of another way in. So they've been done again and again. And even on that day, I remember people saying, "Oh, what's the point in getting them again? Like yeah, it's just more and more all. pictures." And of course, at the time, Daniel Kinnahan was was tweeting away on a regular basis. It wasn't as if. Yeah. yeah, and he was putting up pictures of himself constantly with boxers. So what what was the value? Um, but however, we did go down and, and it's just one of those incredible moments that was captured. And obviously, um, our uh, colleagues from in, Independent News and Media, as it was at the time, Media House now, um, were also there, Robin Schiller and, and Colin O'Reardon, and they, Colin, captured the guys disguised as Gardy carrying the AK-47s going in, uh, Another incredible moment where I think it's it's. It he just talked shows about you, the fear he felt. He showed well, about the he, fear, and it also, but it also they shows took the you, picture. They still took the it's picture. It's in their nature, is, you see. That is in it. That is the. Uh, what would you have done? Would you've run away? Uh, no, I would have. Uh, I would have ran to them and tackled them to the ground. <laughs> what else? No, I mean it is an instinct, though, for yeah. journalists. No, it is uh, an instinct you know, to go that, into that, the burning building yeah, rather than run to, away. You know, to but just to take it, I think it shows. 
you yeah. know, it's an incredible courage because some because you can see them running at them. Yeah, you can actually see them, and you can see you can see the guns. You yeah. can look at it on the internet tonight and see. Would you at that moment put the camera up, or would you? Took your head down. Yeah. And Ernie took the picture. Took the picture. And, he, you know, I've spoken to him so many times about it. There was nine, I think, images he took. Click, 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 yeah. click. And, they and only one of them yeah. was clear. Yeah, there was one clear. Uh, there was other, there was a couple of that were almost clear. And, of course, the camera clicks very cl- quickly. And when he gets a, technical about it, he talks about taking it out through a window and yeah, how the reflections yeah. and that doesn't usually yeah. work. And he actually, from a technical point of view, can't even explain no. how that thing happened clearly. Yeah. It's just a, a raindrop possibly yeah. came down the window at the right time and yeah. cleaned it off or something. Yeah. You know, It's just one of those sort of sliding doors moments or something. And, of course, it's uh, uh, if you remember the, uh, the propaganda video that Daniel did, the documentary... Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember the scene where where Ernie the Ernie was represented in it as standing out of the, the vehicle and walking oh. up to him. Do you remember, do you remember that? No? I don't remember that bit. No, because in in the, the in the uh, the documentary, for want of a better word, he gets out of the gets out of the van, walks right up to the guys, and they kind of pose nearly oh, right, forced. Okay. You know, yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah, the, the reality of it is yeah. was laid bare in court. I mean, it's a scary, scary moment. And so the two the two Ernie and Colin gave evidence, and and Wednesday they gave evidence, and there was medical evidence given as well. Yeah. Um, the medical evidence we don't need to go into. I mean, no. that was very graphic and it just, I mean, suffice to say six bullets at from a very high-powered weapon at close range yes. killed David Byrne, not instantly, but if not instantly, almost instantly. Yes. Um, and evidence of how, you know, the crime scene was secured and all the rest of it. But there was also uh, one of the McGettigans from the hotel. Yes. Who, who the owners of, of the Regency Hotel the evidence really from the witnesses and and is it it just shows the terror of what was going on yeah. and people ordinary people caught up in this sort of this sort of thing and mm. um you know just the the sheer terror going on in the building you know so going forward and into tomorrow and I'll pop down and see it it's going to be more of this CCTV piecing this thing together as you say it's kind of this picture, this clear picture is emerging of what the state's case is, slowly emerging out of a blur. Um, but there'll be more of that. But you see, you never know because you never know in a court who's next because you never know who's available when. No. And like the fact of the matter is, if a witness is available, yeah. um, they will be called. Yeah, They I don't think- have to hear it, you know, chronologically what happened. It is different, I think, when you're in a court than even reading lengthy court reports mm. because you do see how painstaking these things are. And often when you're, you just read court reports on a case and you think, oh, you know, it's hard to know how that'll go. But if you talk to a, a court reporter who's been there every day, they'll say, no, no, it's definitely going this way. Yeah. Because you can see if the case is strong or not. And that's what the state is attempting to do through that painstaking building of, of CCTV evidence that that they're, they're, they're attempting to build that. But it is different when, you, when you're there, here, yeah, seeing yeah. it pe- pierced together. Well, Jerry Hutch was bored today. He yawned a few <laughs> times. He kept trying to stifle his yawns. He had his headphones on him and, the, and stuff. And he was listening intently. But I mean, it was, you know, the... the um, the, the kind of one after the other people talking about yeah. harvesting CCTV, you could see it was hard going, sitting there listening to it. Um, and but yeah, he was you know in place again as you described the other two sort of wandering in and out. It's yeah. just such a such a complete d- difference. And I mean, even you know rattling around the courts, you're kind of walking past them and stuff. Um, 
and the Byrne family were yet again in in the court. Um, David Byrne's father and mother, I presume they're going to go every day when they can. Sadie Byrne and Jaws Byrne, James Jaws Byrne and his sister, Melanie Johnson, were there. Um, they have nothing to say and are unlikely to make any statements until the case is over. No, I mean, it must be very hard for any any family to hear the, the type of graphic evidence mm. that is a part of any trial in terms of cause of death and all that type of evidence, but it must be very hard for a family to hear that. There's a load of school kids in, apparently, in the overflow court. Yeah. I was in the main one, but yeah. uh, they seem to be making up the overflow. And then there is a couple of members of the public in, um, I would say veterans for the special criminal. There's yeah. a kind of collection of pensioners and people who are yeah, there is, there a, a little is. bit more free time and they go in and they listen intently. They're always brilliant if you have anything to yeah. ask them. If you've missed five minutes of it, they've heard everything. Yeah, they tend to prefer the uh, husband kills wife type of trials, but they are there. Now, these guys, I've seen them in the special for most of the cases that I've been to down there. They, they, they just, you know, I mean... They're interested in in yeah, and it's a part of our justice law system. and in the evidence exactly. Yeah, and it is part it. of our justice system mm. that it is, you know, that it's a public justice system, and that is yeah. an important feature because obviously there's other non-democratic countries where justice is done in secret, and the belief is that allowing it to be done in such a public way uh, keeps us all honest. Exactly, Ian. What would you have done if I disappeared completely, <laughs> just as a matter of interest? Enjoy the time off. Oh. <laughs> we could have drafted in somebody better, couldn't we? And you we could have got a new signing. No, but like I mean, Ronaldo. Do you see Ronaldo disappearing down the tunnel? There's always another younger, hungrier oh. striker to come in. I think now you're going to be off agree. the airways. Ian is nodding there. I think is he? No, I'm actually. You're off the airways now. That's it. That's your last final chance. Stardom, but look, I'll I'll pop down maybe tomorrow, and we'll see yeah. about next week. Look, in the end of the day, we won't put up a pod every single day. We'll put it up if there's enough of interest yeah. to talk about, and I shall attempt to not fly off for the next big moment. No, and if you had if you had died out there on the balcony with your <laughs> with your with your with your hairbrush, we would have done a two hour special, wouldn't we? Evan? <laughs> of course, we would have. I've never known what happened to me because I wouldn't no. have been able to tell you. Only for that lovely old gentleman who saved me. And you know, he came back to the hotel afterwards. He told the receptionist that I was trapped like a fly. Like a fly, yeah. And he, she came up and let me in. And later, he came back to ask me, was I okay? Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing, miss? Mm. Okay, right. We'll uh, over and out and come back to this maybe tomorrow. Thanks very much, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. <laughs>